BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Great America Show, where every day we work together to assure that truth, justice, and the American way prevails. It's great to have you with us, and I want to give a Great America shout out to all our listeners out on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, and up in Alaska, particularly out there in the People's Republic of California where we know most of you listening to our podcast have to do so huddled together often in the night or a dark corner of your house, hoping you don't get caught listening to the Great America Show by the PC police, the the woke brigades, or get turned in by your see-something-say-something neighbors, or maybe just your friends, even family, who will turn on you even for a simple thought crime. People in Oregon, at least uh, Western Oregon, are living in fear as, as well as you folks in California. Those Oregonians afraid to have an original thought that somehow you might slip up and you might say something outrageous about the United States of America. Say how much you love America and your freedom and your liberty. Dare to go to a school board meeting and then be marked as a potential domestic terrorist. In Portland, you might have one too many of those craft beers downtown and end up on a left-wing don't-drink list. And there and there, the, the, all you folks out there in Washington, left, left coast certainly, but also rubbing right next to Canada. Talk about Marxist Omega influences right there in the upper left corner of the United States. Reason and patriotism are rare not least because the state is on the left coast, shoulder to shoulder with Canada. Also think about this. Washington is there on the Pacific Ocean as well. And on a clear day, those Seattle lefties can almost see not only Russia, but China. That's right, communist China. To all our listeners on the West Coast, we, we know you're afraid and you've got every right to be. Just stay strong. And, and remember, a free mind is the next best thing to being free and try to stay safe. We know the risks you're taking. We appreciate those risks to be with us on the Great America Show, and we thank you. But still, be careful in the midst of all those who mean to take away your rights, your liberty, your very identity as Americans. And to all of you up there in Alaska, thanks for all you're doing to keep America free, particularly on the left coast. Alaska, you're our very last best chance to preserve truth, justice, and the American way on the West Coast. You're our beacon of hope, if you will. And remember, the Ruskies, as well as Lisa Murkowski, can see your light of liberty. So thanks for all you do, and help will be on the way come the midterm elections in November. Hang on. Hang in there. Stay stealthy. 
And like they say, you may be feeling paranoid, but that doesn't mean an authoritarian government isn't after you. But there's hope for all patriots this week. The left has taken a sudden right turn. And I mean, given all Americans hope that we'll beat those totalitarian Marxists, the uh, radical dim governors in eight blue states just rolled back their China virus mandates. Even New York City as of today, no longer requiring masks in businesses. So what happened? I don't believe it's a coincidence that the radical left suddenly pivoted the same week that President Biden's poll numbers, that is the average of all of the polls on his approval rating, dropped below 40% for the first time. Today, we'll be talking with one of the people most responsible for that left-wing totalitarian reversal, the sudden rollback of the Democrat Party's authoritarian Marxist assault on American freedoms. All the executive orders, the mandates and authoritarian commands that have been issued by the Biden White House in the name of public health and fighting the China virus pandemic. I say the Biden White House, by the way, advisedly, because frankly, I'm not always sure how many of these orders and mandates are actually coming from him. And I'm not quite sure there isn't a cabal or something or someone telling this enfeebled president of ours what to say, when to say it, what to do, when to do it. I'm just not sure about who's in charge, to tell you the truth. And when a president is so weak, so lost that he needs his wife to lead him off a stage after mumbling his way through another often incoherent speech, then Jill Biden helps Joe down the steps and leads him like a dog through the audience. Is there anyone home there? It's terrible, a terrible thing to behold. And there's another mystery at work in the upper reaches of the U.S. public health bureaucracy now. And that mystery is, what happened to Dr. Fauci? He disappeared. Where is Dr. Fauci? Mr. Science himself. Suddenly, his media appearances have dried up. It's as if every network and newspaper this week received the same memo that said something to the effect, don't you dare put Dr. Doom on the air. So despite what appears to be a dramatic pause in the American march to Marxism, there are millions and millions of Americans who have important questions about the pandemic, the virus, its mutations and variants, what we all should be doing, what our children should be doing. And with us today, one of the doctors who's urged healthy skepticism about government, about the virus, the vaccine, the government policies and mandates throughout this pandemic, who has, as much as anyone, been preeminent as a power-mitigating, countervailing influence on runaway mandates, overreaching government, and leading to this week the urgent rollback of mandates by those eight Democratic governors who have just decided to pivot and to turn their backs on those Biden mandates. With us to take us through all those issues and more is Dr. Peter McCullough. Doctor, great to have you with us and welcome back. And first, are you surprised that these Democratic governors have reversed the mandates as they did so quickly, so suddenly, and broke with the CDC and President Biden's pandemic team? I think they're trying to sense uh, public opinion. 
And public opinion clearly has been changed now over the last month. There have been the news cycle has been so uh, compacted with events that have happened, uh, some of them scientific and natural with respect to the pandemic. And a lot of them, uh, I think, are political uh, public expressions of, of what the constituents want. Well, I, I, I want to say right here and now that I believe that Dr. McCullough is uh, uh, preeminent uh, among those responsible, uh, certainly from the medical community, in bringing attention to, to the science to the issues, the skepticism that is appropriate and, uh, uh, and natural uh, uh, on the part of the public about our public health issues. I, I think you've done an amazing job, uh, whether it was defeat the mandates, all of the uh, discussions that you had with Joe Rogan, you and, and Robert Malone, Dr. Malone. Uh, I, I mean, you formed a, a to me, a, an island of good sense, uh, great medicine, and great judgment and skepticism and and made Americans understand that it's okay to question your government. It's okay to question science because that's what you do. Uh, that is part of the scientific uh, method. Uh, your thoughts? It's true. Scientific discourse uh, is the lifeblood of what we do. I'm an academic physician, so I spend about half my time in practice, half the time as an author and editor and as a clinical researcher. And so we traveled before COVID, we traveled extensively, we met in groups, we vetted uh, information, new science. No two doctors agree on anything. No two lawyers agree on anything. People should expect that. But if we, if we work in groups and we gain consensus, we can come forward. America has not seen teams of people working in Washington on the four major pillars of pandemic response, which are spreading the, uh, the, uh, uh, spread of the controlling the spread of the virus. Number two is early treatment. Number three is hospital treatment. Number four is vaccines. We haven't seen teamwork. In fact, it's settled down to one or two people that America see in the mainstream media. And it's, it's not good for the country. It, it, it really is not. And we've also witnessed that and experienced that over the course of the past now more than two years. Uh, and just uh, just today, out comes a report uh, that they have discovered the very evidence of a very real possibility that, guess what? COVID-19, as it is labeled, actually may have originated in a Wuhan laboratory uh, and there is there is reason for inference that it did not pass from wildlife to to a human being, but rather was manufactured, created, engineered, perhaps in that lab itself. Uh, your reaction to those reports? Boy, I tell you what, they're right on the money with Peter Bregan in uh, his book, COVID nineteen and the Global Predators. We are the prey. It has a thousand references in it. It's a it's a masterpiece of nonfiction. Every connection between the vaccine stakeholders, this Wuhan lab, how the virus was manipulated, the response to the vaccines, it's in that book. And this is all in the open. Lou, I wrote, I wrote one of the introductions right. for the book. Uh, Senator Rand Paul has been on this, and he's right. He's right. And by the way, Senator Rand Paul has been absolutely right. It uh, is clear now about Dr. Fauci. Uh, and Dr. Fauci is, I, I think, twisting in the wind a bit here uh, right now, but it does appear that he had, apparently the networks have been told to take him off the air and keep him off, or he's decided to get off the air because the reality that is surfacing now in, in the national media 
uh, is uh, the, uh, the opposite of what he has been preaching. And to see these eight governors suddenly go against the CDC, to go against the Biden administration, all Democratic, radical Democrat governors doing the opposite of what this radical Democrat president uh, and his CDC have been recommending. And to do it uh, together in concert uh, is all the more surprising. Your reaction? I think you're going to see a lot more. If anything, we've learned in COVID-19 with the uncertainty, people feel comfortable when others are doing the same thing. So all we need is a nidus of governors to start to make a break for medical freedom, for uh, dropping these uh, mandates. You know, it's already happened across the UK, uh, Ireland, Scotland, England. It just happened in Sweden. I think you're going to see it uh, happen all over. We're, we are through the emergency phase of the pandemic. There will be a few occasional high-risk seniors. I got a few calls today on them that we can treat. We have high-quality monoclonal antibodies, so terivimab, the other drugs we use in combination. We've now got a Pfizer and Merck drug. Uh, the, the emergency phase is over. We've got enough tools to treat patients. We can get through this. Well, people are now uh, somewhat confused, as you know. Uh, I, I talk to people, and, and some are still saying, who have been, by the way, adamant, vaccine, 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 uh, almost to the point, uh, as many in the country are, uh, it's a, a, a virtue signal to have uh, been vaccinated. And there will be zero tolerance of anyone who makes an independent decision that he or she will forego the vaccine and rely instead on, uh, on treatment, early treatment. Uh, your thoughts about what we have done here in terms of the vaccine, you mentioned some of those people triple, uh, triple jabbed uh, and, and still contracting uh, Omicron. What are the lessons there? I think the lessons are to not take any particular technology, biotechnology, and, and gamble on it uh, to such a large extent. And I published an op-ed in The Hill in the summer of 2020. It was titled, The Great Gamble of the COVID-19 Vaccine Development Program. And we put all our chips on one horse, and that was the vaccine. And boy, you know, if it wasn't airtight, if it didn't work perfectly, we knew we were going to be in trouble. And people now feel deceived. We have a report out of the CDC December 10th showing 79% of all the Omicron cases are fully vaccinated. And now this paper by Joseph Lunard from the Department of Epidemiology School of Public Health at University of California, Berkeley, showing 76% of Omicron patients are fully vaccinated, uh, those coming to the hospital. But I can tell you the good news here is that vaccinated or unvaccinated, they are coming out pretty well. Uh, no one with Omicron went on the mechanical ventilator, thank goodness. And there was only one death uh, reported in Omicron. And, uh, and there, um, you know, it may or may not have been directly related to the, the virus. Omicron is a far milder syndrome. Those who took the vaccine, uh, you know, that most of them did it out of patriotism. They're probably going to get the Omicron variant anyway. Uh, we have no data to suggest the current sets of vaccines cover the future variants. And I, I think now is a good time, actually, to drop the mandates and, and pause the, the program. Uh, and I, I think I was on Laura Ingram this week, Lou, and I told Laura, I said, the day these vaccines are dropped will become a national holiday. It's almost as if the vaccines are more of a menace than a respiratory illness. Well, they've been rendered so by a, an autocratic authoritarian Biden administration that has reveled, it seemed, 
in in restricting freedoms of movement, uh, freedoms uh, to to simply go to the mall or go to school or to family gatherings, worship, you name it. Uh, the constraints uh, have have verged on outright suppression. Uh, it, it, an oppressive society in this in, in this great uh, constitutional republic is going to engender some considerable reaction, uh, whether it's latent or whether it's expressed. It's going to happen uh, soon. Uh, that is that expression, um, and I think that's where we are right now. Uh, give me a you know. <sighs> I think there's a question that wasn't really asked immediately in this uh, period in which we're vaccinating, putting uh, all of our chips, if you will, on on vaccination, as you put it. Uh, is there any evidence that being vaccinated, because when you talk about 76 percent, 70 plus percent of the people getting getting Omicron, is there any evidence that the the uh, the vaccination actually makes a person more vulnerable to the virus. You know, I'm not sure that's the case. So just to make sure the reporting is correct, of those with Omicron, two of the citations I gave, they were fully vaccinated. Now, it turns out that Omicron is uh, affecting the proportion of the population. Right now, I think the estimates are about one in five. Uh, and since three quarters of Americans took the vaccine, you can see how the proportions go. Um, the, 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 I think the question is, you know, did they derive any benefit? It, it's possible with early uh, early strains that are now extinct, there was uh, some protection. But the U.S. hospitalization data, I don't think are valid because they're not randomized. The reason why they're not there in the hospital is not adjudicated. And, um, and then there's differential testing applied to those more unvaccinated than vaccinated. There's no real ascertainment if they took the vaccine. They're in isolation. So I think a lot of times there's an assumption that they're unvaccinated. And we knew from the UK, uh, Denmark, Germany, and Israel that the majority of people in the hospital were, were in fact vaccinated. So now the World Health Organization has come out and said, listen, no boosters. Uh, boosters are just uh, potentially even going to weaken the immune system here. We don't want this to further backfire. Now that's I, I guess we're getting to the to you know, sort of the area that I think people have huge questions about. The booster shot itself can depress your uh, the status of your immunity. Is that correct? It's a theoretical observation, but it is increasingly supported by a literature. You know, Lou, there's over a thousand publications in the preprint server and in the peer-reviewed literature, National Library of Medicine. Now, a thousand papers on vaccine injuries and complications, including disorders of the immune system. And one of the uh, things that can happen is actually reactivation of latent viruses like Epstein-Barr virus and the, um, the uh, herpes zoster virus. And uh, you know, furthermore, at the US Senate hearings led by Senator Ron Johnson, there was a presentation by lead attorney Tom Rents and co-counsel uh, Lee Dundas on behalf of three whistleblowers within the U.S. military, the lead one named was Teresa Long, and they presented a multifold increased risk of immunologic disorders, cancer, blood disorders, blood clotting, uh, neurologic and cardiovascular disorders in the Department of Defense. So this isn't the VAERS system. This is actually in a clinical occurrence system. So Johnson has, uh, in a sense, subpoenaed the data to make sure they're not altered uh, but this is disturbing to see year-on-year increases like this. And we know the military has been under tremendous pressure to take the vaccines. Absolutely. And uh, and our soldiers are under tremendous pressure 
uh, as well. I, I, I want to get a sense too, of it, did this apply to all of the vaccines or was it just the mRNA, the, that is Pfizer, Moderna, uh, was it Johnson and Johnson? Which which vaccines were they were they separated? You know, it's a good point. The vaccines are very different. You know, Moderna is a hundred micrograms of messenger RNA per shot. Pfizer's thirty micrograms of messenger RNA shot, and Johnson's is an adenoviral vector, where it's, where it's billions of particles that are given. So they're very different. Um, the U.S. CDC and FDA, which are leading the program, they still haven't given us a safety report on the vaccines. You know, we're more than a year into it. We don't know where the problems are with these vaccines. We should have had monthly safety reports and an independent day safety monitoring board overseeing all this so we could actually spot the problems. Now we're deep into it and the public has great distrust now. Yeah, absolutely. And and great questions uh, that they're asking. Uh, they're, and amongst those questions, uh, the application to, to go ahead and vaccinate uh, you know, five-year-olds, uh, 11-year-olds, these are awfully young children. Uh, and we've, your thought about it and how effective is it and how, uh, how logical and scientifically necessary is it? It doesn't follow the risk stratification principles we understand the pandemic. Uh, about 40% of our deaths were seniors, people in nursing homes, congregate uh, facilities, that the average age was 83. Now, this was a problem of our seniors. We should have always been focusing on our seniors. Right. And, and the, the, the news cycle for the last six to nine months has been exclusively almost on children. I saw something today. Uh, we're now getting a base, you know, close to being newborns. Uh, remember that there were never any school outbreaks. Never. Uh, remember, there was never any credible student-to-teacher spread where the teacher had a severe right. outcome. The, the virus, the Chinese published this, and they were right. 85% of the spread occurs within the home. It's usually vertical. It's parents to children. Children don't represent a threat to anyone. They uh, categorically have mild illness. Uh, it's very easily treatable, easily treatable if they get it. Estimates are, my personal estimate is, I think about 80% of kids are already through it. They already have some form of immunity. Uh, we had a paper out from Johns Hopkins uh, just this week in JAMA showing if someone clinically uh, had the illness, it was a 99% chance of having the neutralizing antibodies. Even if they thought they had it, there was a 55% chance of having these antibodies. Uh, we've never seen a compelling case uh, for children. Uh, the randomized trials showed no reductions in severe illness uh, because there weren't any severe cases. And now a paper from the CDC uh, uh, published in the MMWR, their, their journal, uh, December 31st by House, the first author, shows concerning data, children ages 5 to 11. And in the serious complications table, uh, there was about 15% actually had evidence of heart injury by blood testing and by echocardiography. And I can tell you, Lou, this is the first time I've seen in my career heart damage occurring in prepubertal children. And Dr. McCullough is a cardiologist. Uh, and, uh, and I have to say, if you haven't seen it, let me get that percent so we all understand. What percent had heart damage? In the um, house paper, there is a table, and I'm going to bring it up since I think it's important. When the media docked and the FDA get up, boy, they better be quoting the literature. I mean, with great precision. So this first out there is house, H-A-U-S-E. MMWR, December 31st, 2021. In this serious reports table, they had 100 cases where kids, this is serious, this means life-threatening, hospitalized, uh, and they had 15% had 
had an elevation in cardiac troponin indicating um, heart damage, 12 had chest pain, 12 had abnormal, these are percentages, 12% had abnormal EKGs, and 10% had abnormal echocardiograms. Lou, this is unheard of to have children who have no threat of illness uh, with respect to COVID-19 respiratory disease uh, sustaining any heart damage. And I testified in the U.S. Senate on January 24th. I told America one case is too many. One case. It's stunning stuff. And, and that brings us to a number of issues. But one of them is why in the world is not the medical community at large, not just simply the public health uh, uh, bureaucracy and community. Why isn't the entire medical community reacting to this idea of vaccinating children? Uh, and you, as you said, in some cases, reaching down to an infant uh, for, for a vaccination. Why would this be going on without great public discussion? Because we have parents that are, have to be in, in the throes of anxiety and concern for their children and trying to decide what's right. And they're finding out already, already that what they have been told in many instances is simply wrong or was wrong that did uh, subsequently, they found out it was even worse than it had been told. The FDA, why doctor, isn't the FDA saying to Big Pharma, let's slow down here now? Lou, I can tell you, I, you know, I'm in practice in a large health system. I get all the emails. I have yet to see a single email come through with an update on vaccine safety. Not a single grand rounds on vaccine injuries. Not a single set of discussions. It's almost as if the censorship has penetrated right into the medical community, the medical establishment. And the doctors are almost as if they're in a trance. They're in a lockstep trance. You know, the American College of Pediatrics says across the board, vaccinate the kids. American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology says vaccinate pregnant women, of which we have uh, uh, no supportive evidence here. We have no information on long-term safety. We know these are genetic products. And a recent paper by Rochden and colleagues that came out a few months ago and it kind of passed our group and we had missed it originally. She's found that actually the messenger RNA is actually installed in the body for at least a couple months. They were able to find it in the lymph nodes. Now the spike protein, which is the, the part of the virus that was manipulated in the Wuhan lab in China, that exists in the body for over a year. No wonder people have chronic inflammatory conditions. They develop neurologic and cardiovascular problems. The messenger RNA is there far too long. And now the spike protein gets deposited into the organs, circulates in the body, causes blood clots. I mean, this is almost like a science experiment gone bad uh, on a large scale. And, and you know, we, we're, re we're ringing the alarm bells uh, to shut this down. And we're not hearing this discussion emanating from uh, the, F the FDA uh, or the NIH. Uh, instead, uh, we have had uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, the the head of the infectious disease uh, agency of the NIH uh, out operating as uh, a, a cheerleader. He had everything but pom-poms and would brook no discussion uh, for uh, about, uh, let alone debate, about whether or not there should be vaccination and should there be vaccination of, of young people, children, 
infants? Should there be, uh, should we be using mRNA or should we be using uh, Moderna or Pfizer or should we be using Johnson and Johnson at all? They first they said they shouldn't. Then they said, well, you can have one shot of it. I, I mean, I I consider myself fairly well read for a layman on all of this. I have no idea what's going on with Johnson and Johnson or why the FDA made decisions they did make about various vaccines. It's just it's an absolute mess. In fact, I think the vaccine that had the best safety profile was the Novavax vaccine. That was like a tetanus shot. It was just five micrograms of the spike protein, just like you give a small amount of tetanus toxoid, you you respond to it. No genetic technology, no uh, trickery going on within cells. Uh, We'd expect the biodistribution to be different. And in the New England Journal of Medicine papers in June, Luke, uh, there was a very good immune response against the legacy uh, variants. 90% protection, as good as Pfizer Moderna. What happened? Novavax was delayed, delayed, delayed. It got some entry in uh, Europe and Australia, but now the, the, the virus has mutated. So I think the opportunity even for Novavax, I think that window is closed. Yeah, and Novavax, uh, to be clear, uh, could not manufacture the vaccine. Uh, the company was one of those that uh, was a, it had never created a, manufactured a, uh, a vaccine had great success. There was great uh, hope uh, in the medical community, I know, about uh, its vaccine and uh, its, uh, its architecture and its efficacy. But the, the company uh, could not get out of its own way. And then there is, as you suggest, uh, it looked to me like there were some impediments put, uh, put in front of it, too, because they didn't want to, to deal with it. They well, being we- the government. Wait, remember Operation Warp Speed uh, had all the resources possible. So they could have easily just taken the innovation from Novavax as an 800-person U.S. company and then literally just contracted to you know, one of the big pharma companies and just make it. Make it. Now, it uses a moth model, which is kind of interesting. It uses moths in, in, in a sense, a um, vivarium that uh, produces the, <laughs> the gene and then a hamster ovary suspension to actually start cranking it out. But the, uh, I'm sorry, not a hamster ovary suspension, but a, a biological system to start producing the, the material for the vaccine. But there was great hope, but now everything's changed. And so the virus keeps changing. I, I think the virus honestly is just ahead of mankind. Uh, and, and what we should do right now is just focus on protecting some of the high risk seniors who could get sick. That is primarily the uh, older Americans, the, uh, the senior citizens who are, as, as you pointed out, uh, the, the biggest target of, of this, uh, this virus. I, I, I think it's also going back to the army and the military right now, you're talking about they're under tremendous pressure. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is also the week that the, the army is going to separate a bunch of people who uh, have soldiers who do, d- chose not to take the vaccine. Uh, yet with everything that you're saying, that everything that is coming to light, there are great questions about whether the army has the right to do that and whether or not, uh, and, and we should know what was the pressure that they were put under by the White House, for example, and, and whether we're being fair to these soldiers who are being separated uh, involuntarily from the, from the uh, army. It's true. And you think about some of these uh, specialty units, you know, apparently it's millions and millions of dollars that get put into training a single fighter pilot, for instance. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the U.S. investment to just say, listen, since you're not taking the vaccine, go ahead and walk? 
We're just throwing away that investment. And I think Dr. Malone said it right, right at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. He said, where there's risk, there must be choice. And I think everyone agrees the vaccines have risk to it. Even the FDA says the vaccines can cause heart injury. Most of the young men in the military are in the age range where they can sustain heart injury. Scharf and colleagues have shown that the ages, age 18 to 24, that's the peak. Rose and myself have published that the, it goes all the way up to age 50 in men. It's 90% of men who get the heart damage. Well, if there's any risk, Lou, there must be a choice. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think most, I, I think most Americans, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're free thinking, uh, free bunch of folks. And it, it's not an accident. It's our heritage uh, from, the, from our, before our founding. Uh, we are allowing our government to, and our media, frankly, to overwhelm good judgment and to have citizens actually questioning the, themselves rather than uh, their doctors, the, the mass media. Uh, it, it's really a very troubling time, but it does look like we're starting to at least see a, 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 a glimmer of sunshine breaking through uh, again uh, in, in large measure because of you, Dr. Malone, and a handful of others who've made a very big difference. I, I'd like to ask you about the, the idea that schools, uh, and we've talked about this before, but I think people need to hear your thoughts, your thinking about uh, school mass uh, in classrooms, shutting down lockdowns in schools, because, because it's so critically important to every parent and every child out there uh, you know, of school age. You know, they're starting to segregate kids in some schools out in California, Lou. And um, there is a, a project that starts called the Gavel Project, started by a young attorney, Ryan Heath. They got 70 attorneys now, and they are going hard at these health systems for basically um, uh, taking away people's civil, civil liberties here, that the masks uh, have never had any scientific support. So uh, mask expert, Stephen Petty is an engineer. He's calculated 18% of the air loop goes around the mask. The virus is so small, it moves in and out of through the masks and all the testing uh, that's been shown. There've been 12 randomized trials showing that public masking doesn't work. Now, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, I wear a mask in, in a hospital as I should in the cath lab and et cetera. Uh, the bottom line is, uh, you know, the mask holds back droplets. So if you had a big sneeze, uh, it would be inappropriate to be cutting somebody's hair and sneeze on them. Just like if I'm a doctor and I'm examining heart, same thing. I think people working at close range wear a mask for common courtesy, not for COVID reasons. Everybody else should be unencumbered with masks. We should drop them like a hot potato. Masks have basically symbolized, uh, I think, fear and uh, and people impressing their will on others uh, uh, in, in, in really a you know, almost a, a method of personal injury. They should be dropped right away. They, they symbolize so many bad things in America right now. You know, I want to turn to as, as well to the efficacy. Suddenly the, there were three shots, uh, boosters were required. And again, the public was sort of brought along. Uh, they were, there wasn't herd immunity, but there sure was a lot of herding. Uh, and most, and, and it was being done by the government. Why did we have a situation which really I, the FDA didn't approve any of these drugs? In point of fact, they gave them an emergency use uh, authorization, and, and that's still the case. Why have we not seen that change? 
why isn't there a final approval? Why can't the FDA do that? And is it because of liability? Uh, is it because they know something we don't and only suspect? Well, none of the vaccines hit traditional uh, efficacy or safety standards. So the traditional would be that a vaccine has to have 50% protection and has to at least last a year. And none of them last a year. None of them have 50% protection against uh, Delta. Delta, the estimate's about 20%. And then with Omicron, it's close to 0% protection. Uh, and then the second thing on safety, Lou, there's been, uh, you know, the US CDC, their system has over 21,000 deaths in it. About 90% of those are domestic. Has over 40,000 individuals permanently disabled. Over 30,000 cases of heart injury. These numbers are staggering. So you can imagine, uh, you know, Moderna and Pfizer actually have been given, uh, Moderna and then um, BioNTech, the uh, German company that's working with Pfizer, they've been awarded biological licensing agreements. All that means is they can, if they commit to post-marketing studies, and the FDA has put a ton of post-marketing studies on them for uh, heart injury, and they come up with a package insert that's going to be survivable, they could have market entry. But if they have market entry, they're going to have to convince an insurance company to pay for it. Do you see what I mean? So I don't think these companies uh, in earnestly really want FDA approval. They, they're getting a pre-purchased product, no development costs, uh, basically a, a pharmaceutical massive gravy train through the EUA mechanism. And at least Pfizer didn't take federal money. We can say that for them. Uh, but the rest of it in terms of liability and uh, all of the people who are suffering some sort of effect, uh, it, 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 there's, it's it's not a great way uh, for public health in this country to, to be carried out. I'm, I'm very, very concerned as well about what are people going to say when we get to it? Let's assume that, well, let's not assume, but it's possible that Omicron could be one of the last, if not the last stage in this pandemic, correct? It's almost like you went to the fireworks and you get to the very end and they shoot off everything they've got left in the cannons, you know, that big finale. It almost seems that way. And my, my point is, why, what in the world are people going to think as we unwind this? And we're going to, there will be, you know, there will be great hearings, uh, a great number of hearings. There's going to be great second guessing, great amounts of second guessing. Uh, Public health in this country is, in my opinion, on trial here, uh, and it doesn't look good uh, on the guilty pleas. You know, I think a lot of it was organizational. <clears throat> right now, the sponsors of the vaccine program are the FDA and the CDC. That is a wrong administrative setup. The FDA should always be the drug safety watchdog. They should not be promoting a product. So the FDA should be safety watchdog, the CDC should be the outbreak investigation group, and the NIH should be the government research funding group. That means we should have had a separate pandemic response unit uh, executing the vaccine program, and we should have had independent day safety monitoring board, adjudication committee, and human ethics committee, and monthly review. If we would have had monthly review, we would have identified these problems early, probably been able to adjust the vaccines. Uh, I think they probably would have just been restricted to our high-risk seniors, we could have actually, the vaccine program could have done a lot of good if it was executed correctly. But it's been basically this out of control public menace now. Now, now, now families are pulling their kids out of school. Parents are, are trembling in fear of what's going to happen with their children. They've lost trust in the doctors. Everything's basically spiraling out of control. Spiraling, spiraling out of control. 
Dr. Fauci announcing uh, that, and I love these pronouncements that he makes, but announcing that the U.S. is uh, exiting full-blown pandemic uh, phase of coronavirus crisis. Uh, do you agree with him, first of all? Well, I think we clearly are ex uh, exiting the um, Omicron outbreak, but the Omicron outbreak was so mild, even though it involved a lot of people. It was a very tall peak. It was five times as bigger than the other peak, but it was narrow. It was about a six-week peak. It's it, it, Clearly, the hospitals weren't overwhelmed. It, we, we're managing through it. Uh, there's been a great underutilization of early treatment. If we would have had uh, all of our government officials focused on the sick person at hand with a very comprehensive early treatment program, I mean, all the medical systems engaged, uh, we should have been focusing on the medical community. You know, to this day, Mayo Clinic has no protocol for COVID. Uh, neither does Johns Hopkins or or Emory or Duke. Uh, they have right. they still have they still haven't treated a single outpatient with a, a branded protocol. No hospital, Lou claims to be a center of excellence for COVID. And these are richly uh, reimbursed admissions. You'd think right now, you know, Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic would be advertising, send your sick COVID patients here. We're the best at treating COVID patients. There is no bravado in taking care of COVID patients. It's astonishing. It is astonishing. It's also uh, disturbing because uh, talking to to various doctors, the the reality is that they were depending upon the CDC for uh, for guidance for direction. Uh, they have their practices, whatever their specialty is. Uh, it's it, I, I can only imagine because people appreciate, I believe, uh, what doctors must uh, stay up to date on the education that is constant and continuing throughout their careers. Uh, it, it's it's. Uh, I guess what I'm saying to you is I don't see anything right about what the CDC did and has been doing, uh, it, it, frankly. Uh, and I really think that we're going to have to change our, our, our public health uh, institutions and organization. Uh, would you go that far? I, I would agree. Um, I, I think we, we need panels of external advisors. You know, when I was doing my innovative work on how to treat COVID-19, I published the very first paper teaching doctors how to treat in the major literature, in the American Journal of Medicine. You know, I got a call from Peter Novaro. I got a call from Senator Johnson. There were people saying, listen, this is important. We can treat this illness. Uh, but, you know, I wrote the, the White House task force, uh, you know, tried to break into you know, you know, any type of discussion with people. And there, no one would hear a word about early treatment. And to this day, our government officials have never given a full-throated endorsement for early treatment. They're not telling people where to access these monoclonal antibodies. They're not even talking up the new Pfizer and Merck drugs. Turns out the Pfizer drug's a winner. And you know, there's no word of it. Um, all we hear about is vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. There should be, we should be telling people right now, high-risk seniors who are getting sick with COVID, how they can access these important products. And early treatment. The, the ivermectin became such a, a, a focal point, uh, hydroxychloroquine, uh, you know, just simple, straightforward uh, possibilities you put together. I, I think it would be a protocol of treatment uh, that was very helpful. Uh, and I think a lot of people and your conversations with Joe Rogan, for example, you and Robert Malone, I mean, that really set a, that sort of set a fire, didn't it, uh, in the public consciousness uh, that, that really uh, was very helpful. 
uh, this man who's being threatened and uh, by so many because he dared to to listen to to outliers from the orthodoxy of uh, American medicine who just but, Lou, to... I, I have to comment though you know Robert F Kennedy who you know runs the Children Health Defense he has uh -huh. a strong he has a strong position on safety of vaccines. His podcast is carried on Spotify. Spotify never said a word. <laughs> there was a, you know so it's interesting. So Joe Rogan, who has a huge audience, um, you know Joe Rogan. Not only does he um, uh, actually get fried, and then you know you have Neil Young and 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 and, um, and Harry and his wife and. And all Johnny these Mitchell. others, Johnny Mitchell, and it kept going and going, but it quickly got off COVID. And then it's about, you know, Rogan making other comments on, on, on things that quickly became political. And I really feel bad. I've communicated with him some on this, and I feel bad because he's almost now getting fried in these ad hominem attacks. And it's quickly gotten off the, the science that people really want to go after somebody when they go after Robert F. Kennedy. His views are very strident on Spotify. And, um, you know, it's, it's just the double standards. Amazing. Did you talk with uh, Kennedy? Yes, I've been on his podcast twice. Uh, he also presented at the Lincoln Memorial, as I did. Uh, and, and we uh, he deserves some credit, credit, right? And he, he, you know, he gets he's, he's very concerned about this. You know, his views are different. I uh, I've taken all the vaccines. I've I've taken my kids have taken all the vaccines. I accept them in my practice. I don't have a hard line against vaccines. Right. Uh, but for the COVID-19 vaccines, they broke all the rules, you know, this genetic technology. And then we started seeing the safety effects, what have you. Uh, so I, I had had COVID-19 uh, and I was in an FDA early treatment protocol. This was early on because I knew I was taking risks. I was seeing patients. And, um, and then I've had now the Omicron variant in December. So I have not had a COVID-19 vaccine. And, and honestly, I'm just not uh, personally worried as I navigate through life on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And what you're saying is Kennedy is anti all vaccines. He has a strong view that vaccines uh, have not had uh, enough safety oversight. Now he makes the case that, you know, he wants to see safe and effective products, but uh, there are vaccine injured uh, people out there. And because of the uh, indemnification of the vaccine manufacturers, the parents have nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, well, you know, my wife and I are vaccinated. Uh, but we're we're absolutely against mandates. Uh, this is a country in which you have the freedom to make your own decisions, and for for anyone uh, to feel otherwise, you know that's their right too. But uh, for our government to lay down laws and directives and executive orders and mandates that are not supported by peer-reviewed, skeptical scientists and, and medical researchers and doctors uh, is to me crazy. And I hope we're through the crazy period. What is your thinking? Are we through the crazy period? I think we're at the dawn. I think we're at a dawn of a new age. But Lou, whatever's going on, it's worldwide. And uh, boy, you know, I'm the, I have a podcast myself, The McCullough Report on America Loud Talk Radio. I interviewed a German doctor this week who said, you know, in Germany, public gatherings are outlawed because we could not get together and did, do what you guys did in Washington. He goes, but what we're doing is we're doing silent walks and we are walking hundreds of thousands of people together. And, and when we're asked, he said, listen, we're just exercising and we're quiet. <laughs> but it's, whatever's going on is worldwide. The, the truckers rally in Canada, uh, you see uh, marches all over the world. Uh, somehow it got into the minds of people 
to start taking on totalitarian-like thinking. And our goal is, in a sense, to wake ourselves up out of this trance. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that, I agree with you, that is beginning, that has happened. I think there's something else that's happened as well. And I, I think, as, as you correctly uh, gave credit to those truckers in Canada, they've done something magnificent, uh, standing up for liberty, for their rights, uh, and against the oppression of their government. They've shown also, once again, something that I think has been proved far too often uh, in Canada, uh, that Trudeau is a complete fool. Uh, he has no place uh, running a government, no place leading a country. Uh, but that's just my opinion. What is really, to me, heartening is, to, as you say, people in Germany uh, simply marching, walking. We're finding out that whether we look to the north, to the Canadians, whether we look to the UK, to the, to the Brits, uh, this is not a world that is made like us. We have freedoms, we have laws and rights that uh, are, make us the, the folks who decide what our government will do. This government is now working against the people. And the people, I think, as a result of this experience, as tragic as it has been, as difficult as it has been, uh, as disruptive to American life and society as it has been, is reminding us how, uh, what a God-given blessing we have here in this great country. It also reminds us that there are, you know, there's a lot of discussion about God-given rights, uh, human rights. Uh, my view is there are only American rights in this country. Uh, we can uh, discuss whether God led us, uh, whether there is providence to those rights, but those rights are all sanctioned in blood, the blood of soldiers who have fought for those rights and for all of us who have uh, worked so hard uh, to keep this country free. And I have to say to you, doctor, you are amongst the leaders. And I thank you so much for everything you've done at great risk to your career, at great risk, uh, period to stand up for what you know, for what you knew to be right, uh, and you have helped all of the rest of us understand uh, as best we can uh, the issues and to come down on the side of uh, this great country and our, our, our treasured freedoms. So thank you, Dr. McCullough. We appreciate it so much. You get the last word here. Well, that was a very eloquent uh, statement, and, and, and I fully and, and, and wholeheartedly agree with those with those statements. So with that, why don't we leave it here, Lou, and let's see what happens over the next uh, next few days and weeks. Again, I thank you for all you do. Thanks for being with us here today and uh, uh, continuing us uh, to lead us through this very complex time uh, in which we live. Dr. Peter McCullough, an American hero. Thank you so much. Thank you. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.